0: So campaigns are huge for us. Uh, We just did $102,000 in one day. um, And the majority of that revenue, and that was only on a $5,000 ad spend that day.
1: Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to get your customers to reply to your emails, how to build an audience from scratch, and how to build an irresistible offer when customers visit your page. Today I'm joined by Tyler Sullivan from Bomb Tech Golf. BombTech Golf sells performance golf clubs for Weekend Warriors and was started in 2012 and based out of Williston, Vermont and has generated over $4 million in annual sales. Welcome, Tyler.
0: Glad to be here.
1: Cool. So you started this business because you were obsessed with golf. What did you feel like you had offered that the uh, current marketplace that, that you saw didn't have at the time?
0: I honestly had no intentions of starting an e-com brand. I really... Just truly was obsessed and passionate about golf and started, um, I was trying to compete in a really niche sport of long drive, attempting to hit the ball as far as you can. It's like the home run derby of golf. And I wasn't that good, um, but in that process of trying to hit it as far as I could, I ended up having all these custom golf clubs and golf drivers made, broke a ton of them, and just got frustrated and started assembling my own. And then just said, you know what, let's see if anyone else wants one. And actually that was prompted by a friend of mine that's like, asked me what I was swinging. And I go, maybe there's an opportunity here. And uh, so I made like the world's worst website. This was before I have a new Shopify was, Um, and this is, I mean, this is seven years ago now. And I put up a really bad website with like uh, flashing lights on it and uh, a, a guy with all muscles. That was a cartoon character breaking a golf club. And I ended up selling a product. It took me like six months to sell a custom driver. And uh, that was the first moment where I said, I want to do more of that, you know, because I actually sold it when I wasn't at work. You know, I was just on a boat. It wasn't a yacht or anything. And uh, I heard this first thing come in and it was my first sale ever. So that was kind of the feeling or moment where I said, I want to just do more of that. But I didn't have the intentions or game plan to, you know, do, we've done like 17 million since I started or something like that, or 15, I can't remember the number. Um, And yeah, no, that was a proof of concept. So living the dream now.
1: That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. So you start off by assembling your own for your own purposes. Did you have experience creating like products or creating uh, physical products like this before?
0: no i have not so i mean I, I started like again this is like pre-drop shipping um before that was kind of a thing and i was just taking different components from like smaller brands or manufacturers and making them custom and that was kind of our unique selling proposition when i first started and we were making like a niche product uh totally custom some of them myself and then i was just talking to a college friend of mine from the university of vermont and said hey you know i'm making these custom drivers I sold at that point I sold not that much it was like 5000 10000 dollars worth and I I already was having issues with the suppliers I said I really like to you know like make my own have my own brand and he says well you're not that smart <laughs> and I said you know you're probably right and uh, but his idea was to call the University of Vermont where we both went to college and ask them if we could work with their engineering department uh, and they've got a program every year where they have you can you can apply to work with a group of students. And I applied out of the blue; they didn't know who I was. The brand really didn't exist. And together, I worked with a group of students for about a year to make our, our original driver design. And um, I really just documented that process on Facebook early days, and documenting just you know just going through the process, like, hey, we're working on this design, this shape. What do you think? What color? Shaft do you play, you know, what driver do you play now? And just bringing people along for my journey made it a pretty, I wouldn't say easy, (laughs) but it was, I had a somewhat warm audience that had been following the process of design, the process of launching the brand. So when I did launch my own driver and it was a legit product, I had people ready. Um, And that's kind of how it all, that's how I got into the design side, um, which was a long and difficult way to start. But it was—it's a cool story, and I wouldn't wouldn't take it back.
1: You mentioned that this was a difficult way to start getting into this program, but it sounds like a, a great opportunity. Right? Was it like I'm assuming was it free for you to if you got in if you got stepped into the program?
0: It's free. It was free. I think it's now one thousand to five thousand per group. Usually, usually I do, and I have been working with them for like six years now. I work with a group of students every year. Uh, we actually did a ski design last year as well. Um, cause I am launching a ski brand not to get derailed on the conversation. Um, but we, we always work on something and now I think it's a thousand or project and they don't always, it's not like we always come up with something innovative or game changing. Um, but it's a cool experience to work with a group of students and we're one of the few projects that I try, I try to have an actual finished prototype before the semester or the year's over. Whereas most projects are theoretical and, um, they don't really have a finished product. Whereas my goal is always to have something that we can then test for the rest of the year, so we have like a really rapid uh, schedule compared to everyone else. And it's the kids love it, I love it. It's just a fun thing to do with my old college, and it, you know it gives us a cool, cool way to launch new projects and have a different angle and perspective too. You know,
1: got it. So you don't want to use this this valuable opportunity to just create one iteration. You want to have something ready to go so that you can spend that time in the program iterating from there.
0: Yeah, I, I prefer, and again, this is not every program is different, but I try to push them to finish first semester so then we can actually I have time to make a prototype and then they can do testing on that. It doesn't always work out like that. This last year, it took a full year. And then the next year, we actually did uh, testing on top of that for a whole year. So it really, it, it's just a unique, um, and every, every school, I think, has this. And, and again, it's not like it's going to, not every project is going to crush it. But for me to start out my own brand, this was it was a really cool thing to do. They did an amazing job, and it was a great story to tell.
1: All right? Yeah, I'm sure that universities are are holding a program like this. Uh, what what do you think makes a a candidate? I guess in your in your experience uh, attractive to a university when they have a program like this? Like what what can you do about your company, your product, your idea that will get you you picked?
0: I mean, you're working with students, so I mean it's really got to be something they're passionate about. And every year, you know, I, we now have a like uh, a list that I want to sign up for our specific project just because, you know, we've been doing it for so long so we, they kind of know us. Um, but I don't know if you're doing something passionate, you know, I think that will just show when you present to them. And that's really what I think in terms of anything, whether you're starting your own brand, your own product, your own business, do something you like, cause you're going to be doing it a lot, <laughs> you know? And like people are like, Oh, why golf? It's like that. I was already going to, I was already doing that you know and I was obsessed so it's just an it's an easier thing so as long as it's something you're passionate about just go with that
1: right makes sense so you mentioned that while you were going through this program and and building out the initial designs and a prototype you're documenting this on Facebook what did you find that that this did for your what did it kind of accelerate for your your business by documenting
0: yeah so this was like early Facebook 2012 13 14 time frame and, you know, I only had like 2,000 likes or something, but like 2,000 people would actually see it. <laughs> so it was a small audience, uh, but a captive one. And and really, Facebook's how we launched the brand. And it just allowed me to engage with customers one-on-one. I tell the story quite a bit. I, I had a uh, video that I posted when Facebook video first dropped. Um, and I hit the ball and it sounds like a shotgun goes off. And I said, you know, something like, does your, how does your, does your driver sound like that? And I boosted it for $300. And it got like, I think it was like 300,000 views and 10,000 comments. And what I did is I commented on every single comment, told my thumbs were going to like fall off. Um, And by doing that, and this is early Facebook, it allowed me to engage and start relationships one-on-one by just literally commenting. Even if it was like, thanks for your comment. Even if it was not a great comment or they didn't like it or whatever, uh, just acknowledging them and that helped really start to build the following, build engagement. And I'm a big fan of, um, you know, overall just relationship building at scale. So that slowly started to build the brand and we got a lot of exposure. And then people saw we commented on every comment. So there was a human element to it. Um, and that really built the business and the brand uh, was Facebook early days. And now we've, we take those same strategies. And we use them with our Facebook groups, which are are big now, and then our email programs as well, because that drives a significant portion of revenue, about 45%. And we just focus on our core channels and making awesome product and really caring about the customers at the end of the day.
1: And when you say that you are doing this now with uh, the Facebook group and email, you're talking about documenting the process and getting their feedback along the way?
0: Yeah, so really... The overall goal here is to have conversations as many as you can and have them be real conversations. So back and forth, not just me pushing a sales message or be like, hey, we got a sale to you and you not responding. A lot of what we do in email, uh, in groups and on our Facebook page is to ask questions, whether they're even basic or, or more complicated of things we actually want to know. Right. Like as a business owner, there's certain things I want to know to make the brand better. Whether it's product design, product launch, um, quicker shipping, a different product, whatever it is, we I ask real questions I want to know the answer to. And then it gets people involved, and I say engaged, but gets them involved where we're having a two-way conversation. And for us, email still is the most effective, and we use a ton of question emails to ask, like, hey, do you want this early access? Do you, What do you think of this product? What price would it be? I mean, really, like, basic questions that people can answer easily, and then when we have a new product launch or we have something we want to actually show them, they've already been having a discussion with us on Facebook, on our group, um, and in email. So it makes it that that sale or that push, if you want to call it that, um, really effective. You know, and and if we're not having conversations on all these platforms, two way conversations, you, there's no way you're going to uh, survive long term. So that's why I look at those assets and platforms. It's just as opportunities to have conversations. And if you have real genuine conversations, you're going to win and be able to succeed long term. Um, And you'll learn a lot about your customers and what they want. And that's really what all you're, that's all you're really there for is for them anyways.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of listeners out there might err on the side of under-communicating where they are worried about bothering or annoying their customers too much. Can you give us an idea of how often you're sending emails or how often you're trying to get them to talk to you, essentially?
0: I mean, we are very aggressive with email. Um, I mean, we have automation set up, and you're going to be getting emails you know, at least from just one one flow alone you know, for seven days in a row. Um, but their question like we send question emails to get people engaged. And then essentially what they do is they'll reply and that gets them from going from the promotions tab to the inbox. And then it's almost like we have this ongoing dialogue. kind of like it's funny. you can look back for months and see that one like like one customer, potential customer has been having a conversation with a customer service rep um, for could be three, four months and just like a casual back and forth. And um, having those type of relationships where guys think that they can just communicate with us almost like daily, it's really game changing. And now that's the difference between having a brand and just selling stuff. Um, And then same with the campaigns. So campaigns are huge for us. Uh, We just did $102,000 in one day. um, And the majority of that revenue, and I was only on a $5,000 ad spend that day. And the majority of that was from email. And we have many days that are similar to that. And it's because we use email pre-launch to get people warmed up, get people excited, get their feedback, right? Um, Because, like, you know, I want to know which product is going to do better. And it's not what I think is cool. Every time I think something is cool, (laughs) it doesn't do well. So we really use email specifically To get people excited, involved, and really find out the answers of what products are going to be successful before we go through the process of making them. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a full, it's a full system and process to do it well. And I think email, not to get really into email, but it's just, it's one of those things that's easily overlooked because everyone sends email, everyone gets email. So they think, yeah, I know how to do email, but you don't, there, there's some amazing things that you can do to drive significant revenue like crazy revenue and overall build that to be healthy so that if facebook ads go to hell or if you're either your organic traffic or however you're driving traffic instagram uh, google adwords if that it becomes not profitable could you survive with just your email and your customer list and that's how i look at as well is yes we could because we Really maintain the health of that list, you know?
1: This has happened before where people have invested a lot of money onto one platform, probably most recently, like AdWords, for example, all of a sudden the prices go through the roof and all of a sudden you're kind of the mercy of new profit margins or, or maybe lack of profit margins because of not building this list. So you mentioned that a lot of people will say, I know how to do email. What do you find? What, what do you think are? What do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions about about email marketing? For based on the entrepreneurs that you've spoken to,
0: I mean, we do a ton of like. So we do. Um, I have another business, Ecom Growers, where we do we're Clavio, Gold, almost Platinum certified. So we've got like ten to fifteen clients where we manage their email. Um, typically, brands doing one to ten million. That's kind of our sweet spot. Um, but really, I think. There's a lot of overthinking that happens in e-commerce in general. I'm definitely one <laughs> that you could say does this as well. And, and email, it's like we see a lot of brands trying to make them too sexy, you know, HTML and and making them so beautiful and over-designed and spending so much time and effort when really plain text emails with copy that that causes action is the most important thing. Uh, so that's number one. Over spending too much time and energy and money on things that feel good to you, but actually don't cause action and drive revenue. And number two, um, what was the other one I want to say with email? It's, it's the the images and that there was one other thing I wanted to say. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, that's the big thing. Just the concept of trying to make it into something that it's not, you know, it's just, it's just a dialogue to my whole point. It's just a conversation And plain to that was the other thing. So we always see clients coming in with these beautiful emails, but they've got many calls to action. Like, hey, here's our newsletter. And it's like, like 15 different things you could you read and click on. It's like every email for us has one specific thing we want you to do. That's it. It's like, keep it simple. You know, keep it simple. Keep it clean. And uh, that's all you really need to do. You know, that's like the basic stuff that if you did that today would make a huge difference.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that you. we, we try to appear bigger than we are by going, going with these, by making it too beautiful. And a lot of times that kind of comes across as... As advertising, right? It doesn't come across In as, as intimate as it should be when it comes through, through, through email. So you mentioned that the, the, I think the key thing you mentioned here is about writing copy that will drive action and only one action, right? Not multiple actions on or not attempting to drive multiple different types of action. Now, what, 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 what do you, what kind of advice would you give to someone that just doesn't know much about copywriting, doesn't know where to begin to write copy that, that moves people?
0: I mean, I would just start testing, especially if you're new. Is it's really simple to set up A/B test, um, or when you send a campaign, you know, try something that may be out of your comfort zone um, and see how your audience reacts. Every audience acts reacts different to different messaging, different copy. Um, but for me, you know, like uh, the industry that I am, I'm in, I'm really passionate about it. You know, so it's really easy to come up with the copy and and knowing that, but. I think if you just take a step back and ask questions, like if you have no idea where, where to go with copy and you feel lost. And I think a lot of people writing emails, like I don't even know what to say, or I've got too much to say <laughs> um, is take a step back and assume you know nothing and just start asking questions and they'll be, you'll see like we'll ask questions and get answers that don't even answer that question, <laughs> but it gives us so much insight into what our audience and our people Um, and customers want and what they're thinking, what what their fears, concerns, hopes, dreams, all that stuff really are and is. And that there's magic in that because then your copy and your voice uh, comes together really quickly when you actually know the audience versus assuming, you know, because it's your brand, right?
1: Right. And because you've grown to size now where there are assuming multiple people that are conversing or responding back to these emails, how do you get the data and the responses back in a way where it's, it's, it's actionable and that that knowledge is shared across everyone. Because if someone on your team gets an interesting email with, with great information in terms of maybe product development or maybe a way to speak to your customer, how do you get that to the rest of the organization? So everyone is updated on the, uh, on this, essentially this, this valuable information is coming back from the customers in the, in the emails.
0: So I have a very, very small team and and uh, and believe in uh, super lean operations. So I only have two two direct employees and they both are in charge of phone and email. So we've got um, meeting once a week, I call like a pulse report where they, we just talk about what customers are saying in email, on phone. Um, I actually manage some of the comments on ads. So we've got like a three pronged approach. I hear from them, they hear from me. And then I actually go through and do just look we use help scout to answer emails faster and i'll just look overall at a few emails to get a sense but really as a founder i think it's something that is 100 worth your time is to take a little bit of time it's it's probably take a lot of time honestly um because it's worth it to to dive into your facebook comments to email responses and just see what people are saying because you may digest that reply much different than your customer service guy. Uh, but I tell them to report everything and anything that seems uh, unique in a good way, like a really good review or feedback that they think is concerning, but they'll never, no matter what, you'll never see every email. Right. So it's just good to get that general sense. Um, but really, I don't, I don't know, like if you had a ton of employees, I really don't know why you need a ton of employees to, to run a, a pretty large econ brand to be candid. That's one thing I believe in. We've got a 3PL in Wisconsin. Uh, we've got an ads guy that's an expert and my partner does our email. And then you got customer service and a 3PL and that's that's all you really need. So I don't know if people have different setups, but some brands we've spoken to have a ton of employees and I candidly, I want less overhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That makes sense.
1: So when you are sending, I, I want to actually dive into a little bit more about the content of these emails. You mentioned that you're asking a lot of questions. Are there are there examples that, that you like to always rely on whenever you're launching a new product? Like what kind of questions are th- things that you definitely want to to ask your, your audience?
0: Yeah, I don't want to give away all my secrets, but uh, I mean, this is so simple. Like again, this stuff is not revolutionary. I mean, the, the most basic question we have is an email that subject lines question. And we ask them about a certain, I, we our driver drivers like one of our main products. So we just say, what driver do you play now? And that just gets them to reply. It's everyone knows what driver they have. It's an instant reply. Um, so that's our first question that we ask in any of our flows. And that gets us typically from the promotions to the inbox, but for like product launches, I mean, we'll literally just say, Hey, do you want early access? reply back with the word boom or yes like so simple like maybe one line two lines max and then we get like two thousand five thousand replies and then we can tag those people and you know let them know early like hey you got early access, so they feel like they got something special it doesn't have to be revolutionary you know what i mean it's just these little things that get them excited so you're you're now getting higher open rates higher click-through rates, you got people in the inbox, and now people know a launch is coming before it's coming, and they're engaged. So you, you did a lot with very little um, versus like what we, we used to do, and it still worked, but we'd send an email the day of the launch <laughs> and say, hey, hey, it's here, you know what I mean, versus, hey, do you want early access? Uh, what do you think about, like we'll even ask some ridiculous questions, like what do you think the price is going to be 150 at launch should we do a special deal offer of 97? And they'll be like, of course, yeah. So it, like just simple stuff, like, but just we're asking questions in a way that's almost selling as we're doing it. So it's, it's a difference of saying, we could have said those same things, but without a question format, it just pushed it out to them, but it wouldn't get the opens, it wouldn't get the replies, it wouldn't get the engagement. And um, it all goes back to just having a conversation and again, you can change it up a million different ways, but just basic concepts of asking stuff you want to know, having them reply easily, and also giving them future awareness, especially with a product launch, is one of the reasons we did six figures in one day, you know?
1: Got it. So you're, you're basically giving them information, but you're trying to capture their attention first. So like you're still telling them, hey, there's going to be a sale from 150 down to 97 essentially, right? But you're actually asking them, hey, should we do this? of course you' you're already going to do it, but the idea is just to capture their attention and get them thinking about, wow, there is a, a sale almost like penetrates another level into their their awareness when you frame it that way rather than just telling them, "Hey, there's going to be a sale.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to do it. It's more of the framing and mm-hmm. like personal conversation versus a HTML designed full circle of conversation. but HTML beautifully designed, multiple distractions. And then maybe in one of those areas, you said, "Hey, sale today." 15% off like that will, will be absolute crickets versus these question um, preemptive engagement. It, 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 will, it will absolutely probably 20 X what that other email would do. Cause it's buried. It looks salesy. The, no one's going to open those anyways versus they're already getting hyped up. They're messaging back. Now they're telling their buddies that are in the group and, you know, just like, Oh, did you get that email? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna get early access. So it's all, it's a, it's almost like a flywheel effect, you know, where people start talking about it, too. Um, so it's just a, it's a whole different method. You know what I mean?
1: Right. You're talking about they're talking with, amongst each other in the Facebook group that you have.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. So we'll see a lot of, you know, emails that we send out. Um, and then we'll see posts, you know, like pending posts in our group that are directly related to the email. Um, and that's that's what you want. So we'll then... <laughs> you know, we'll then approve that post and then it will leak out some of the same info. So that's just kind of, um, I don't know what the word would be, coordinating uh, or having a cohesive message um, from like our email to on social. So it's just, because not everyone's going to see every email and not everyone's going to see every Facebook post or Instagram post. So having both of those and and those dialogues going on all platforms is really powerful. You know what I mean? We always try to have, Uh, product launch uh, group and ads be cohesive so like we're a lot we just launched a volcano torch 72 degree wedge which is sick and um, so we coordinated the facebook group um, our ads guy and our email guy and it's a really simple discussion but we make everyone on the same page similar copy um, same offer and that just it makes every launch and every deal and every you know, even evergreen stuff more effective. And then the group guys get excited, they post their order numbers like, hey, I just bought it. And then it's a natural like, you know, bandwagon effect where guys are like, oh my God, I need to get that, or I didn't know it existed. Um, So it's a multi-touch point, you know, method between like our, I would say, three core places, you know, doing the fundamentals well and not getting distracted and doing all the stuff that doesn't matter, you know, work on stuff we know that works, And have good offers and uh, care.
1: Right. So you you have a list of buyers now. You have a growing list in your email, the Facebook groups. And I think earlier you mentioned that you had, when you started documenting, you had about 2,000 people that were tuning in. Were these like friends and family? Where were these 2,000 people coming from?
0: Well, actually, early Facebook, this is bringing me back. I'm having a flashback. Uh, I actually would pay for likes and the likes were real. So, you know, when I had 2000 likes, I paid at what at that time, a lot of money for me. because um, I was broke. <laughs> and, um, but those likes were real, and people would engage. And now, like, you talk about changes, and I brought up like email as our asset and be able to survive just on email, because I've already gone through multiple algorithm changes. And one a big one for us was we've got like 115,000 Facebook likes or something. And, you know, we used to be able to reach all those people. So, I mean, a thing that really did have an impact on us was Facebook's organic reach drop. Because, I mean, a normal post two, three years ago would get, I mean, man, we used to get like 300 plus shares. I remember I had one post had 10,000 shares. One Facebook Live had 10,000 shares, like 9,000 comments. And when that changed, I mean, that really had, I wouldn't say it was game changing, like super negative, but it definitely impacted the business. Um, and because we had the only true thing we still control and own is email. Right. So that's how I look at it is the most important thing. because I've already been through an algorithm change where those hundred fifteen thousand likes are now worth like one hundred fifteen uh, coming from a place where two thousand likes probably got more likes than I have now, like when I would post something versus 115000 So it, by doing that, that was one of the shifts we made about two years ago with focusing on asset building. The group is like, it's a similar thing. Like we've got groups that are, are good, but they still are not what they first were. You know what I mean? And any platform, if you're relying on them all in, man, I would be scared. You know. So for us, we look at email as the most important asset, uh, customer list, most important, and then your subscriber list, non-buyers. So that's one and two, our biggest asset. Uh, the group is important, um, but you can go away at any time. That's how I look at it. Same with Facebook and Instagram, still important, but are you know not a true asset. And then, not to go off topic, but Amazon, we were selling FBA, and I actually pulled the plug this year because I felt I had no control. You know what I mean? I'd had no buyer information. Was 100% at the um, uh, under control of what their algorithm was, and I just say, you know what? I don't want to live live by that. I don't want to have that risk. So I actually got rid of all. I, we sold out of what we had on there. It was a bestseller product, and now we sell only 100% on our own website. So we get the buyer information. It's that that important.
1: Well, I'm, I'm assuming that, that led to some kind of drop initially that that you, you may or may not recover from since then. Like, but that must have been a tough decision to make
0: at the time, regardless of sales went up. You know why? I, I was really I was worried about it at first, but Amazon was bidding on our own term. So they mm. were they were uh, bidding wow. on uh, bomb tech golf. So I didn't know this at first. Then we like we we shaved back our AdWords budget a little bit. I said, it's really weird. Like we're, we're hammering Amazon sales. I'm like, what's going on? And then I, I looked and I was like, oh man, they're bidding on our own keyword. And at first I was like, that's not a bad thing. But really when we turned it off and just got rid of Amazon, all that happened is we just absorbed those sales on our own website. That's <laughs> so awesome, we're, best we're, case we're, scenario. Yeah, best case scenario. And again, the volume wasn't crazy, but we did have a best selling product on there. Um, had a bunch of good reviews. I mean, it's a, it's a great product. Um, but just, I didn't want to live that i didn't want to run that type of business that was so prone to you know one algorithm change and you're all in on that platform and you own nothing i was like that's not a business that's a that's a cash flow or income stream and that's great and you know i, I don't am not saying that's that's not a good way to do it if you want more income but for me i just it's all about now that we're so good at at email and and that list building it's like I want, every, I want every email, and especially a buyer email, that's the most valuable. So I, that was a big move we made and ended up not being a big move at all. It was a, uh, a move we should have made a while ago.
1: Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Mm. So I want to talk about building an audience specifically from scratch. And I think obviously in this conversation, email is where you see the most, most value. And they even differentiate between a list of just uh, people that are prospects versus a list of buyers. So if you're starting from scratch, you don't even have a list of buyers. Yeah. You want to kind of build an audience to begin with before you launch your, your product. Like what, what, what you kind of advice would you give here? Like what, what are the best ways to start building an audience from scratch?
0: Yeah, so I'm actually doing this right now um, because I am launching a ski brand in the fall, if everything goes well. And this is a pure, like, if you think I'm a big golfer, I'm a bigger skier. Um, You know, I'm just super passionate about it. So I worked with UVM, same story, to design skis. This is actually our second year of, like, I've done through, like, 15 prototypes. Uh, I think I've got the final design dialed in, and all I've been doing for the last year as I slowly been posting videos, pics, updates, videos at the college, you know, just basic stuff to get some content out there. Um, I'm going to start a group. So we're hopefully to launch in the fall, like late fall. And, uh, so I'm going to make a basic Shopify store with a sign up. Um, it's just going to be a pop up, probably privy. I think I'll say, Hey, uh, it's called Icebeard skis. You guys check it out if you want. We got like 50 likes. We're killing it. <laughs> uh, so we're new. We're brand new. This is the answer to your question. So what we're going to do is just have a you know basic website, uh, really clean, and just get people hyped up and signed up uh, for when that product launches. And then what I will do is do a pre-order before I launch to see if the offer and the product has legs before I go to market. So really, that's I'm going to start documenting more and more as we get closer. Just making more content, doing Facebook lives, going in some other ski groups. Uh, one of my buddies owns a ski company as well, not a ski, um, a ski brand, but a ski apparel brand. And I, I'm going to ask him if I can post in his group, just things like that, that are more like, uh, organic or what would be the word I, hustling a little bit, you know, just to, just to be like, Hey, get yourself out there and get some people talking. Right, kind of
1: like not, not scalable approaches to start. Guerrilla
0: marketing I was trying to say, yeah, not, and okay. we will use ads for sure. You know, we're definitely going to run ads to test the offer during the pre-order phase or phase. Uh, but that's really it. It's nothing, again, it's really fundamental. Like, because I love to ski. I'm already skiing. <laughs> I was skiing a lot this winter. And when I'm there, I'll just take a photo or go Facebook Live on the chairlift and just talk to people. And um, I'm already doing it and love it. So it's, for me, it's a really easy thing. That's why I've, I could never sell something I don't love and know, uh, because it would feel like work. You know what I mean? So it's almost something that, I was already doing anyways to build the audience talk to people and um i don't know if that answers your question but just do something you're passionate about make content about that you don't have to be the best about it like i make videos that are really you know raw authentic um you know one of them i have ice in my beard you know i may not be looking my best and um that's what people want you know what i mean
1: right so you are creating all this content i think the piece that that i might be missing so far is like you where's the where is this being distributed because you mentioned that you're probably going to some groups to do that you're going on facebook live but you're going live to just like your friends and family like who's yeah it's
0: not a big audience so right now again it sounds crazy but it's like just facebook and instagram super small following um yeah and it's mostly just family and friends and then i do post in like a couple ski groups, just questions like to our whole, whole uh, thesis of this discussion, like questions like, hey, guys, what skis do you ride? Uh, what length are, do you ride? Uh, what brand do you do you ride? And then people start like reaching out to me. Like, oh, dude, what's up? Like just building relationships one to one. Then I'll invite them into our own group. Um, so we'll, the goal is to build up a group like we've done before, an email list, And just start making content. And really the goal too is the content is start to get, even with my small circle family and friends, it's to see what content does well. And that will help shave some time for ads. So if I got already a library of content from previous year, um, I can then go to my ad guy and go, hey, this is what I think has done well organically. What do you want to run in ad format?
1: Is that is that usually a good correlation? If it does well organically, it's going to do even better or it's going to most likely do well as well when you put some paid dollars against it?
0: Well, you're probably going to get more shares, cheaper clicks. So it may not absolutely kill it, but he may be able to tweak it with a better offer or something. But often, yeah, a post that does decent in terms of you know reach, likes, and shares, you can typically turn it into what I think is a good ad. Um, But yeah ads will definitely be the point of that's the point of no return you know once we get a base of content small following we'll start hammering ads we'll start hammering email and at that point we'll kind of know if it's going to fly or not because we're going to do it on pre-order and if our ad costs with our email automations with our small group and existing content if our ad costs are like out of whack and we can't get a cpa that's even even close to what we want It may not be a product I'm I'm willing to bring to market, you know what I mean, Um, just because where I'm at in my career, you know, but I think I've got a unique angle with this and so we'll find out.
1: Right. So you're when you're doing these things where you're posting questions into these groups uh, correct me if this is if this is outlined correctly or not. So your, your your number one goal is really to build the relationship with the uh, the community, and then they will reach out to you, and then it'll be easier to invite them into your group when that comes around. The second important thing for you is to get data for for copy for for the for building out the offer for the content and the ads, content and the emails, and then what about data for like product development or is that like or is the product development too far along at that point for you to, to ask questions to inform the product that you're building?
0: I mean, I've already been doing that. So like we've got multiple, like if we got like 10 or 15 prototypes, so I have like different designs and things like that. And, you know, well, I've already done this where I say, which one, which one, which sky would you, which sky, which ski would you ride A or B and A is a green pair Is a pair that looks like it's uh, real wood. You know what I mean. So I've already been starting to do that, Um, but we still have options with finishes. So like that's going to be an ongoing thing through the summer. You know for sure that I'm going to do. And even when we launch, like stuff like that, it's never too late. You know, let's say we launch with the natural wood look, and let's say the launch is soft. Guess what we'll do? We'll launch a limited edition all black. You know what I mean? So it's never too late in the process to uh, try different things. I'm always a big fan of, especially with the new brand is going small. Like I'm not going to make like I do with golf clubs, like 10,000 pairs of skis. (laughs) You know, I'm going to do a micro launch of probably, I don't know, 200 pair, 100 pair, just to see if the offer has legs, see if the product does well get reviews from real customers, kind of do like, it's like a micro launch of a brand. Um, I'm confident in the product. I know the audience well. I think we'll kill it, but I also do it, I think, in a, uh, hopefully in a way that's um, conservative, but also, you know, gives us good intel. You know what I mean? But like with the Facebook groups, one thing to say too, it's, I think one thing maybe we're missing of the conversations. If I'm posting a group of skiers, like 20,000 people, and they're just like commenting on stuff I'm posting, for like five, six months. And then I'm like, Oh guys, I know you've heard me talk about it, but the product that I've been talking about, they have already seen me post multiple times. So they kind of know me. And then I post an offer for like the new product or ask the admins to post for me. It's going to go much better versus me being not engaged in a group coming out of the blue and be like, yo, I just started a ski brand. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like, I do that, too, with our uh, agency, you know, where I where I'm in some multiple Facebook groups and uh, I'll drop some, you know, totally free um, uh, video content that gives value. And people are like, oh, that's sick. And then someone will tag me as like an email expert or something. But they've already seen 10, 15 posts from me because I've been engaging. Therefore, their trust level is higher. So it's the same concept, Not not to like really simplify it, but it's just. It is kind of simple. You're having conversations where your customers and people you want to get to are, like real conversations. And then when you have something they care about um, or that you want them to care about, you already have a more relationship than coming in cold and um, coming off salesy. It's like they already kind of know you, they've talked to you, or maybe seen your post. So it's, it's just a different dynamic of how do you actually use groups um, to do that on top of the other strategies, too. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. So I heard you mention this a couple of times now about the idea of testing the offer. I was seeing the offer has legs. What what goes into an offer? Obviously, the product is there, but what else you do? What other variables can you kind of play with to to test if it? Is to test offers against each other?
0: Yeah, this is probably the most important thing because um, we've had offers that I thought we're going to absolutely crush it that don't do well, and that we've had offers I thought we're going to do good just absolutely do amazing. And really a good offer has allowed us to scale really well. Um, And I think it's probably the most important thing. So it's any audience is going to react different to an offer specific to them. You know what I mean? So I can't make a blanket statement. But one thing in particular we look for is uh, bundling. Like we can bundle multiple products that make sense. It's harder to compare price. You know what I mean? If you have like one widget where someone's like, I think that's 20 bucks. And it says 24, they may not like it. Whereas if you have a, a bundle of them where it's harder to price it and it looks like a better perceived value, that's a really good way to kind of break a price comparison is to bundle it so it looks like there's more value, which typically there is. Um, and then after like the bundle is we like to um, really, really spend money and it's not crazy money, but time, money and energy on really good photos. Uh, like we'll go to kind of crazy lengths to get every single angle. Like some of our products have like 25, 30 photos. Um, we actually do them on black. So they look more premium. And the next thing we do other than bundling and photos is we make sure we've got videos that are just kind of unreal. You know, like we, I do spend typically per product. Like for this product launch, I'll probably spend. And again, this is not big money, but probably spend a thousand bucks on photos probably spend two grand on a video and then i'll do the copy but we'll i'll do a long form copy piece on the product page and um that's kind of the basis there we'll try to have a good bundled offer uh we'll have sick photos and we'll have like legit videos and then it gets easier as you get more established and you have more reviews that come in because you know we've got some products that have two thousand plus reviews and that just makes the snowball effect better but that's kind of how I look at like an offer it's like bundle perceived value photos and videos and that's and that copy it's that whole combination and it's a really it's the emotional reaction you get from a client or, or a customer too it's like you can say all that stuff but if it doesn't resonate with them with all those pieces it may miss
1: Right. So I want to break this down a little bit. So you mentioned the photos is one of the keys and you take a lot of photos, a lot of angles covering everything that they might want to see. You mentioned the videos. What are you trying to capture with the videos?
0: So right now we've been mostly doing text overlay with super high end, uh, like motion graphics on the video, but really it's the key points that I've learned over the last five, six years of, of customers, of like why they buy what they're looking for we just talk about those benefits in the text um, and that's just really it it's like using the like the sexiness of the video builds trust it doesn't sell the product it's the copy that typically sells the product you know what i mean and that goes to our full circle the copy sells it and email too So we kind of went away from a lot of like talking head videos because a lot of people are watching videos without volume on. And now most of our stuff is text overlays where we use copy to what we think is the best way. And then just have a video that's so well done that it it creates instant trust in the brand versus we could get away with more more basic or uh, raw videos earlier days, Facebook. Now it seems that we're, especially on product pages, specifically on our Shopify product pages. If you can go and look at any of them, those videos are more polished than some of the stuff we'll use on Facebook for like an ad. So we kind of try to marry those two as well as to have like know your platform. You know, I think product pages you have to be, cause that's a representation of your brand, have to be super clean, super simple, get your, get your point across in copy. Um, but be professional. Whereas your Facebook ads may be more native to Facebook, right? They may be uh, actual users using the product or, or more raw. So it's definitely a mix of that. But really got to have a good ads person or email person to test those offers to ever really find out. And you'll never know until you ask for someone's order, right? Until you get that that product out there and try to get payment. Because um, one thing, I did have a product that I made that I thought was going to be the best product in the world. It's called Beer Putt. It was like a beer pong for golfers. And it got like a thousand shares on Facebook. Um, Like, oh, everyone's like, I'm buying it, I'm buying it, I'm buying it. When I went to launch it, it was crickets. And we sold like 400, but I I made like 2,000. And I thought I was going to sell in like two minutes. And it was one of those aha moments where it was the first product. I was a little cocky. This was like a year or two ago, I think two years now. And I thought anything we launched, people would want. But I, I assume they wanted it because I liked it. And what I should have done is what we do now with everything: is we do a pre-order with a smaller quantity, and really see when money when their credit cards out if they're going to pay for it. So that's really kind of like full offer, and then test it to make sure it's legit, and then uh, use ads and email to see if you can tweak it. I was able to make the offer effective, but it was at a price point that didn't make sense. So therefore, that product wouldn't work, right? I I could have cut out a bunch of stuff, but I try to sell it at a higher price point for that specific product that it just didn't fly. So I wish I saved a lot of time and money on that by doing what we do now, which is um, pre-order ahead of time.
1: Right, so there is really no good proxy for for sales. Like it could get tons of shares and lots of engagement, even people saying that they'll buy it. Uh, but sometimes, if it's like a a just like a a novel product, they might be they might sound interested in it, but when it comes time to put their money down, they won't do it. And you found that you really got to take that that pre order. So when you are offering this pre order, is there any kind of additional uh, value that they get out of pre ordering rather than just waiting
0: until the product gets released? I mean, we we haven't really gone crazy with, like, incentives to pre-order. I pretty much try to put it out there with our best offer as we would sell at Evergreen because I don't want to try to do, you know, make it too incentive-driven so it's not like a regular offer when Mm -hmm. it's not on pre-order. Because that
1: doesn't tell you the truth about the Yeah, maybe
0: that's Mm -hmm. why. I I just have not, I haven't really thought about that, to be honest. But So, like, for example, we've got lefty wedges on pre-order right now because we get, like, uh, hundreds of comments a day saying where are our lefty clubs because we only sell right-handed clubs or we now have left so i said you know what finally i did make a lefty driver years ago and it didn't do well did really poorly and but that was after a lot of comments back then i said we're bigger now we've got a lot more customers we've got a lot more reach let me try one more time because every post where's the lefties where's the lefties we had thousands of people tagged in our email systems and they want left-handed i was like you know what i'll do a pre-order with a regular offer for a lefty wedge set which is one of our most popular products. And I did it, I, I made the minimum amount for that I would make, which is 300 sets about 900 clubs. And I thought it was going to do well and I thought it wasn't going to do well, but to your point, you got a ton of it's been getting tons of comments, tons of emails, you know, like where are the clubs for lefties? And then we launched it on pre-order to test it. And we still only sold 170 sets out of 300, and it's been months. And I'm glad I did that. So at least I'm getting at least half of them sold before we get the product. But I, I'm so glad I didn't do a full production run. We will not be making more. Uh, but this is why we do it. You know, I got the money. All, the clubs aren't here yet, but I got almost half the order um, sold. And I'm glad I did. And it's going to be a struggle to sell the rest. Uh, but it's not like I did 2,000 sets. And now I'm like, oh, man, everyone said they wanted it. You know, so social media and stuff is just that. It's social. And the people that are sometimes most vocal are not even your customer or potential customer. And that's really a hard thing, I think, to decipher when you're, you know, even for me now. But early on, I was like, oh, man, this is going to kill it. It You never know until you say, hey, here it is to buy. And that's that's your moment of truth. If they're going to whip out their credit card or hit PayPal or whatever you got and uh, actually give you money for what that, what, you know, what it is.
1: Right. So you mentioned uh, bundling. And I think there's an important point about how you, one of the uh, the downfalls for a lot of businesses is that they become a commodity and people just price shop and there's a race to the bottom. But you found that by creating an offer where you bundle multiple products together, you can break out of that, that kind of vicious cycle of pricing to the bottom and actually remove yourself from the price shopping I guess uh, conundrum. So, can you give some examples of bundles that that work well for you, and, and also ones that that just didn't seem to work?
0: Yeah, we, we've. I mean, with golf clubs, it's maybe a little different, but we like bundle a wedge set together, so it's multiple wedges wedges versus one. And you know, it, it is a sick deal, but it's it's a full set versus the individual wedge, right? And that's sounds so simple, but it's like it, not only does it help us with perceived value. Um, it is a better, you know, uh, set that they should actually have for their game. Um what was the other thing? And then they're just the overall value is better. You, or I would say our average order value is higher, right? Mm-hmm. So like for me, like we sell very few individual clubs unless they are insanely unique. Like we've got a 72 degree wedge, which no one makes. It's an insane flop shot. Um, Club that no one is willing to make and we make it. And that's the only club because it's so unique that I sell standalone. Um, everything else we pretty much sell as a set for those reasons. And I've seen it. I mean, again, you, I wouldn't be able to tell you like in your industry what offer works, but like I would spend a lot of time if your ads aren't, aren't working quote unquote or emails not working on your actual offer and trying different bundles trying different things together trying different price points with different things and you will be shocked what actually what your audience wants because you don't know like that's the big thing as a takeaway too is like as an owner do you want to think you know it all and you want to have your hands in everything i try to have my hands in nothing <laughs> but, um, but i kidding but i try not to worry about stuff that doesn't necessarily matter and it's like your audience is the only people that matter in deciding which offer is good or not so like give them the options so they can attempt to buy it um, and see which one does better. It's like, it's really that simple. I would spend more time doing that than messing with ads and email, like just testing all these different audiences and different, different tactics. You know, if you get your offer dialed in, you could run that, you know, evergreen too. Um, and that's where like a pre-order, a pre-order to success is, um, is a better method for us like if i if i start a pre-order right and like let's say it's just absolutely doing terrible and we got like no traction well guess what i'll switch up the pre-order throw in another product um change something about that offer and then try again and if that's the the ticket so if that's what's going to happen this winter if like we've got our you know i'm gonna have a i don't want to tell you what it is yet but uh, <laughs> um a specific first offer attempt and absolutely does nothing You'd be shocked what a couple of tweaks can do um, to finding a CPA that works or having it work in email. Even if you're doing all the right things and engagement, people, if your offer sucks, man, you're gonna have a hard time.
1: And when you when you are tweaking the the offer, are you making like wholesale, like change everything at once? Like how big of the a change should you be making to 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 test?
0: I mean, I'm always a big fan of massive change. I used to be obsessed with micro stuff, like. Mm -hmm. Like we we edit videos, right? Like I have a video guy that does our videos, and like I try not to even make edits on the videos he makes, because it's like we did this with one video, and I knew this was going to be a mistake, but we obsessed over every single detail, right? And it's like, if it's if it it was only very it was very similar to the video we ended up with, right? Like version one to version twenty was almost the same video, and. You know, you could run version one versus <clears throat> versus version twenty and like let's say ads <clears throat> or email and have it'll have probably no difference. But if it's a whole a completely different style of video, like let's say one's a studio video versus on course versus user versus owner, you know, like a completely different style or totally different offer, like it's gotta be dramatic. That's the only way to see if it's gonna work. And I'm really I know everyone wants to get so analytical with stuff, but it's like you should know, like just have a sense. Like a lot of what I do is just look at our total revenue for the day and uh, compare to what our, you know, ad our, our ad cost is, and that gives me a gauge of like I don't I don't try to look too micro on the, um, you know, return on ad spend daily. I just look at like total spend, total revenue, and that gives me a pulse. After doing it for so long, if things are going well or if they're not, and uh, then we adjust, you know. Awesome.
1: So thank you so much for your time, Tyler. So bombtechgolf.com, dot com is a website. And I'll leave you with this last question, which is, what do you feel has to happen this year for you to consider this year a success?
0: It's already been a great success. Honestly, we're up a ton in the econ brand, um, for bomb tech sales wise. I feel like we've leaned up quite a bit with, uh, just production in terms of our cost, and in a really good position to scale profitably. So I feel really good. I've been able to reduce my hours in that business to roughly like four to six hours a week, which has been really freeing. And then I've also started the agency, which has been about a year long project with actually my first employee from BombTech, which has been really cool to have a whole nother income and business. We've got about 12 clients now. And, uh, our goal with that, we're almost halfway there trying to get to hundred K a month, uh, helping other ecom brands with their email marketing. And that's ecomgrowers.com. And that's been a whole different challenge, but to have another business that's been successful and very profitable helping other brands has been a whole different thing. But it's, it's kind of reignited my, my love for ecom and brands and, and doing all that. And, you know, my goal for this year too is to do more podcast interviews. And just make more content that I want to make and hopefully help more people. So, I mean, if anyone wants to email me and just talk about e-commerce, I'm always up for that. I love that stuff. Uh, Sully, S-U-L-L-Y at ecom, E-C-O-M, growers.com. You can email me direct. I, I, I've helped out guys just finding 3PLs, email, finding ads guys, whatever you guys need help with. If I can help a little bit because it was a long and difficult journey. Um, but to have some success and uh, enjoy it is its really it's a great place and not have to work for someone else. So I'm very fortunate it's already been a success and uh, really glad to be on the show.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much again, Tyler. All
0: right, brother, thank you.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30day extended trial, visit shopify.com/masters.